This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down, then get a touchdown. Rock em, Hello and welcome to the post-Vikings and Bengals Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar, along with Derek Wetmore, who is filling in for Judge Zolgad, who is off today. Uh, Derek, let me ask you this first before we get into Teddy Bridgewater's return to the field and the Vikings' demolition of the Cincinnati Bengals. The playoff scenarios. Please tell us now, as we stand right here following the game, where the Vikings stand and what Vikings fans can look forward to over the next two weeks. Well, they're in a good spot. They clinched the NFC North, obviously, so they're going to the playoffs. That we know. What's left to debate or left to wonder about is, are they going to have that first round bye? They haven't locked that up because, I believe, Matthew, if the Vikings lose out and the Panthers win their division and win their final two games, then the Panthers would have that first round by. The Vikings would have to go in the wild card. They'd still be the home team for that game, but they'd have to win that first game to move on to the next round and play the division-winning Panthers. That's a scenario you absolutely want to avoid if you're the Vikings. I think it's a huge advantage to be able to sit that first week. And so that's what will be at focus the final two weeks for the Vikings. So my question is now, since the Green Bay Packers lost to the Carolina Panthers today, then will the Packers play Aaron Rodgers next week against the Vikings at Lambeau Field? And uh, I I don't know. I mean, they they haven't said anything. I haven't seen any tweets about whether Rodgers plans to play. But, I mean, it it seems to me that he was risking his collarbone by coming back. It was only 80% healed. And it would be wise if you're the Packers having him now just sit out the rest of the year and not risk anything in the future or uh, his next season. No. That's, that's what I would think. I don't agree. I think, so first of all, how do you know 80%, right? They, they put an estimate on it. What's the difference between 75% and 85%? We can pick apart that argument. But I think as long as you have a mathematical chance, you have to go with it. Until you're mathematically eliminated and you're the Packers, you'd say, all right, well, we're going to hope this guy can drag us in there on some fluky, a couple teams lose the rest of their games and sneak in the back door. You get into the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback and you have a chance to do some damage. So I think until it's settled, um, and to my knowledge, I'm looking at the playoff picture here, I don't think Sunday's loss for the Packers 
uh, against the Panthers. I, I don't think that loss settles it for them. Does that seal their fate this season? That moves them to 7-7. Seven and seven. I still think they have an outside chance to make the playoffs. I think it essentially eliminates them, kind of like how when the Vikings lost to the Indianapolis Colts here uh, last year, they weren't technically out when they traveled to Lambeau, but sure. it was one of those 98% out sort of things. Yeah. So, so maybe you're right. I mean, Rodgers is the type of guy who would want to continue playing, maybe just even to get a little spoiler. I think that's what get... this was, right? I saw some tweets that the Packers wanted him to sit out and that there were – uh, team doctors and consultants saying like, well, I mean, long term, it's really not a smart risk. And it's just Rogers pushing his way through that and saying, ah, thank you for your words of precaution and your advice. I'm going to play this week and try to beat the Panthers. And of course, came up short against the Panthers. Yeah, so right. now I guess if he's got that sort of mentality about playing that game, then maybe we do see him. There's a big difference for the Vikings between winning these next two games and not winning these next two games, but especially in Green Bay. Yeah. If you can get that win, then maybe Week 17, if Philadelphia loses or something like that, then maybe Week 17 you've got it all locked up and you can play Teddy Bridgewater and the rest of the backups for that Week 17 game if you can beat the Panthers next week. So that's what they're shooting for, and they would be hoping it's Brett Hundley. It gives you a much better chance. Yeah. But Rodgers, I, I think, at least would want a revenge shot at the Vikings, even if it doesn't mean a whole lot to the grand scheme yeah. of things. Because he got hurt against the Vikings, because it's at home, because there might be a 2% chance, he's going to probably be in that game. Right. I think that's what the Vikings should plan and for. You, just to correct, you said beat the Panthers. You meant beat the Packers. I oh, knew yeah, what you sorry. meant. Just yeah. want to make sure, for the record. Uh, yeah, I think that... A revenge game 2017 is going to be something on Rodgers' mind. He's going to downplay that story this week, obviously. He's going to be asked about it 50 times. He's not going to fan the flames. Anthony Barr is going to be asked about it this week. He's also not going to fan the flames. But you know it's in the back of both players' minds. It was a huge storyline in the NFC North this year. But I should back that up and go 30,000-foot view and say credit where credit is due to the Vikings for winning the NFC North, securing it with two weeks left, and then not easing up, not taking your foot off the gas pedal and saying, okay, we're comfortable now. Well, no, you shouldn't be comfortable yet because that first round buy is such a significant deal and you haven't secured anything in that, in, in that regard yet. Yeah, something I wrote about that really stuck out to me today is that this game had some potential for a letdown against the Bengals. I mean, last week they lose to Carolina in a disappointing loss, a game that I think a lot of people still felt – that they gave away rather than being beaten with a lot of mistakes and a couple of big plays and then some injuries as well. And last year they came into U.S. Bank Stadium and for a game against Indianapolis with a chance to still be in the playoffs, and they just fell apart and lost 34-6 to in that game. Today, from the very get-go, it was quite clear oh. how much better this team is this year than they were last year because they just took out a two-by-four and beat the Bengals over the head yeah. with it. Well, right away. It took no time at all. And Jarek McKinnon said after the game that, uh, yeah, of course it was because the Bengals were missing some linebackers. Of course Mike Zimmer was scheming to beat them in that way. Hey, let's get some running backs over the middle and try to get them matched up one-on-one -on -one against a backup linebacker. That's a good matchup. You'll take that with Latavius Murray or Jarek McKinnon any day. But then McKinnon said... Yeah, first time I turned around and I had the ball open in space and you know, I was able to make some big plays. I thought man, I thought they were going to try to guard me after that, but I guess they didn't want to. It's like, geez, that's that's a savage remark, but it's what it felt like for 
lengthy stretches on Sunday that, okay, it's pretty obvious what the Vikings are trying to do to you. Go ahead and try to stop it. Mike Zimmer gave the Bengals credit for getting a little better at stopping it towards the end of the game, but I just I didn't see it. It was long over before they were able to do anything about it. I think that's him trying to be polite to his buddy sure, Marvin right. Lewis, that's especially right. with the reports that Lewis is going to walk away from the team. Uh, I don't think that Zimmer would want to kick him while he's down. But the strategy was clear going into it. I mean, I, I went back and watched the Bengals' loss to the Chicago Bears, and it was obvious that these linebackers are so poor and so inexperienced, they look like preseason guys. Hardy Nickerson, who is Hardy Nickerson's son, uh, the great Hardy Nickerson, um, his son is not as good. It's kind of like how Michael Jordan's kid could play like D1 basketball but was not in the NBA. Well, it's kind of this way, where Hardy Nickerson Jr. is nowhere close to his dad and also not experienced at all. He's a guy that they cut and he was playing today as a starter. And the other guy that was starting was a sixth round pick. And the other guy that they had to bring in when the Vikings used multiple tight ends, he had never played before. So that's how beat up they were at linebacker. Normally they're pretty good at that position, but today they had nothing there. And it's when you're talking about guys that are that inexperienced or lacking that much talent, Versus a Vikings offensive line that got Pat Elfline back. Yeah. We saw that on the very first drive. The type of impact that Pat Elfline has when he's in the lineup, they throw a screen to Latavius Murray, 28-yard gain right from there, and it was obvious that they were going to be able to do that all day. And the guy leading the block, Pat Elfline right out there. Way out there. I mean, it's such a huge, huge difference maker from last week where they couldn't throw screens at all, of course, against a Luke Keekley defense versus sure. a defense with uh, undrafted linebackers trying to play. But the, the fact that the Vikings came out right away, cruised down the field for a touchdown, pick six after that, I mean, this was one of those games it felt like it's been quite a while since they've had. Maybe Tampa Bay game was like this too, where it was just over. Yeah, I mean, there done. was just no chance that team was coming back. And then as soon as... Dalton was trying to make a comeback. They kept hitting him. They kept pressuring him. He had no one to throw to. And they then, kept putting linebackers in his field of vision. That's right. And then he's still Andy Dalton and made yeah. a horrendous mistake throwing sure. the pick to Eric Hendricks. Let me ask you something, and I think it'll be pretty obvious where I'm going to go with my follow-up. But but I just I want to set the scene for this. Let's not talk about Andy Dalton. Let's talk about Case Keenum for a second. And given what we know about the game plan now, in hindsight, what the Vikings were trying to do, and given how sort of uneven, how lopsided, non-competitive the game was on Sunday, how do you go about, Matthew, analyzing Case Keenum's performance Sunday against the Bengals? I think it's really hard to draw any conclusions from it, but the body of work from Case Keenum shows you that you can win with Case Keenum consistently on a week-to-week basis so long as you're getting big plays from Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and the screen game and the play-action game are working and the run game is working. I think that's what we've learned about Case Keenum is that if you take one of those things away, then his life is going to be a lot more difficult. That's what we saw in Carolina when there were injuries up front, when they couldn't run the ball up the middle especially, when they were getting pressured so much that they couldn't do play-action and when Elfline was out and they couldn't throw screens – he had a much more difficult time, and there was some bad luck involved too. Guys drop passes who never drop passes, sure. like Thielen and Kyle Rudolph. But it was 
it was a much weaker game against Carolina because of some of those factors. But if your offense can throw screens to Jarek McKinnon and have him run for 30, 40 yards after right. catching the ball, and the same thing for Latavius Murray, uh, he's going to be able to operate it. And it really speaks to the strength of this roster, how much they beat down that uh, Bengals defense, how much they took advantage of it. It just shows you when this roster is at full strength or mostly full strength, Riley Reef out today, uh, they are so good at those things that I've, it's hard to stop for almost any team, much less a team that's dinged up. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Scoop podcast with Doogie. Take us through what a day in the life of Thad Levine is like right now. I mean, are you on the phone from pretty much 7 a.m. until 11 o'clock at night? I, you know, I, th- I think you're, you're available certainly during that time. It's, it's a blend of talking to agents who represent free agents who you have interest in to talking to agents who want you to have interest in their players to talking to clubs about potential trades and then interspersed in that is a constant ongoing dialogue with our inner circle of decision makers here as well as our scouts in the field who aren't present and getting their feedback on each change in machination and then you know a running dialogue with Dave St. Peter and Jim Polat about the opportunities that we believe are here present to to impact the future of the franchise. You can find the Scoop podcast on the 1500ESPN.com podcast page or on iTunes or really wherever you get your podcasts. The follow-up then should be fairly obvious. Teddy Bridgewater gets in the game, and really nice story. I mean, I think I saw a tweet from the Vikings, 714 days since Bridgewater took a regular season snap. It's an amazing comeback story in its own right. But the follow-up to the Case Keenum question, which... I, I don't know how much he really even showed you on Sunday, right? Like you're playing the screen game. It goes 20 for 23, but like, okay, how, how much does that even say? The follow-up is, has Teddy Bridgewater been relegated in 2017-18? Has he been relegated to nice subplot? Nice story, moral victory, subplot? At this point, Case Keenum will be the starting quarterback when they start the playoffs. Because of today's game, if there was any chance for him to lose the job, it was today because of how bad the Bengals are, how beat up the Bengals are. If he had come out today and thrown a couple of bad picks, he almost did. Yeah. One of those three incompletions was a drop uh, by the safety for the Bengals. So he almost threw a bad interception. But the rest of the way, he was mostly throwing, like you said, to wide open wide receivers. Even the touchdown to Diggs, Diggs gets the inside on the guy and it's just right there. Uh, so when other teams play much better defense than this, as we get to the playoffs, it's going to be a much bigger challenge for Case Keenum, and then we're going to see where he really stands because today isn't any sort of measuring stick. I think really Carolina probably was before, and Atlanta was before. I think those are much better measuring sticks. One, you saw him execute very well, and one, you saw him struggle at times, and I think that's the real Case Keenum right there in those two games. Uh, but as far as any sort of controversy or any chance that Bridgewater comes back, 
I don't see now any shot of that happening. It really is just a, hey, good for him. He got in a game, and maybe in week 17 when they play the Bears, if there's nothing on the line, then Bridgewater will play that whole game, and Keenum will start come playoff time. Yeah, to me, it's still such a, it's a footnote. I mean, it's a nice footnote for the Vikings. Uh, Stephon Diggs talked about it after the game. Jarek McKinnon talked about it after the game. Harrison Smith after the game. You're just feeling good for Bridgewater in – Having seen him gone down, having witnessed that day at practice, which must have been gruesome, I can only imagine, and and now seeing not only, as McKinnon mentioned, not only is this guy getting back to practicing, which that on its own is an achievement, but then to get into the game, still, with all of that, all of those good feelings, the good Vikings vibes coming their way, Man, it's hard to see it being anything more than just that, even if he comes in in a meaningless Week 17 game. Let's say everything goes perfectly for the Vikings. Meaningless Week 17 game plays really well. It's still really hard to make the argument. (laughs) We've talked about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. You're probably sick of it. Man, I don't know how you'd go any other direction in the playoffs. The Vikings are going to have that first round by, like I said, if things go well for them. To mess with that at this point would be would be malpractice. Yeah, you would have needed Keenum to really struggle to even open up that door, and he didn't at all. Today. Yeah, and let me just, I'll, I'll tee you up for another one, but with uh, the way Andy Dalton played on the other side, boy, this doesn't seem like a game where you really had to quarterback hard to win it. When Eric Hendricks sits down in a zone and Dalton throws him the ball right to him, and when Terrence Newman makes that other interception, it's like that sets you up i'm not going to call them fluky plays but they're not necessarily things you can count on on a weekly basis especially with the superstar quarterbacks in the nfl that you'll see in the playoffs but when you get those sort of extenuating circumstances when the things are setting up really well around you yeah boy the ask just is not that great for mike zimmer and the vikings you really couldn't have played worse at the quarterback position than uh, Andy Dalton did today. Yeah, it was bad. With the two interceptions were just unforgivably <laughs> bad. I mean, th- just throwing it right to Terrence Newman, right to Eric Hendricks. And, and you're right, they didn't have to ask a whole lot of Case Keenum, and that's been the case for many of his wins, where they played such great defense, or they ran the ball exceptionally well, or the yards after catch. You think about the game in, in Detroit, where they had the whole drive, where they just handed off the whole drive. And they went right down the field with a couple of big runs. And then the two of the biggest plays in that Detroit game are screen passes that Mm -hmm. go big yards after catch. And he's one of the top in the league at yards after catch. And in part, that's playmakers making plays and the offensive line. But as long as those things are in place for him, then they have a chance to win playoff games. Yeah, And especially as I watch these other games, Seattle is a team that would scare you. Well, as we're doing this, they're getting killed by the Los Angeles Rams. The Vikings have beaten the Rams. They played Carolina very close. I mean, they've beaten the Saints, though I would say that's a different Saints team uh, than they played at that time, but they beat Atlanta as well. And now the Eagles are playing with their backup quarterback. So things shape up really well for you, even though historically it's extremely difficult to go deep in the playoffs without a proven quarterback. When you look at the last 10 Super Bowls, only really Colin Kaepernick and Joe Flacco are the like non Hall of Famers, and Flacco had a really good run, and Kaepernick at that time w- was quite good, and is only out of the league from different circumstances that have nothing to do with his play. So it's always really, really good quarterbacks. This would be an anomaly if they were able to do it, but the way it sets up, 
you have a chance to do so. Now, spinning that back to Bridgewater, the nice thing about today with Bridgewater is, of course, he's going to say, oh, I was very calm. I was very cool. It was no problem. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, just, right. Sure, right. As the whole stadium is standing up and Chanting cheering your, first your name, name yeah. and all that you've went through running through your mind, I very much doubt it was... Just another game. Just another game. No, no. But now he's had that experience, and that's done with. So that's if right. he has to come in the game at some point... Which at this at now where we are, that would have to be for an injury. But if he's got to come in for a Case Keenum injury, you feel more confident now that he's actually gotten back out there, run a couple of plays, gotten the whole big stadium thing out of the way, and he could just play quarterback if they needed yeah, to. Got his interception out of the way, thanks to Jarek McKinnon. That that's one that Jarek McKinnon probably should. Grab. He wore it. He wore it. He, but <laughs> it's after not the like game, it was a laser beam. He, he wore it. He said that. he said that interception's on me, and and he's right. But the the one game that one team you just mentioned there, Matthew, sort of is the statement, the signature victory for the Vikings, and that's the Rams, who are at the time of this recording, they're midway through the third quarter, and they're just beating up on the Seahawks. That was about as executionary style of a win as you can get for the Vikings. That's how that's how you'd hope to draw up a playoff victory. I heard Judd Zolget talking about that on the podcast uh, after that win for the Vikings. To me, that raises this question, and, and this, if it sounds like I've got purple pom-poms for this, then sue me. Which was more impressive to you on Sunday and full, bo- full season? Uh, these are both things Zimmer addressed in his post-game press conference. We go back and forth, but the fact that the offense is clicking in this way, which not perfect, but churning with a backup quarterback, or the fact that the defense is unrelenting, which which of those two sort of uh, identities for this Vikings team is more impressive to you Sunday and throughout the season? Well, I think Sunday does not mean anything. I mean, it was just last week the Bears took apart this same Bengals team and won 33-7. So you're a Bengals nihilist? And this is 34-7. to So, I mean, they did they destructed the Bengals pretty much the same way that the Chicago Bears did. Yeah. It, it's exactly what you were supposed to do, but you don't really get bonus points for a team that has literally quit. I don't like to ever say that in the NFL because I think if you quit, you get hurt and things like that. But you could see it on tape where guys just stopped running uh, against the Bears, and you saw it today where Kyle Carter and Jarek McKinnon on one side yeah. of the field were so wide open, it was like the stadium was empty, and either one of them could have had a touchdown on the same play. Why That does not happen in a regular game. This was like playing an exhibition game against the team that was running out a bunch of backups and didn't really care. You could now, say the same thing about the defense, though, that's, right? Well, yeah, I mean, who's even playing for them? A.J. Green and then a bunch of terrible offensive linemen. Dalton had no time to throw the ball. They couldn't run the ball. It was just, it's a disaster for the Bengals. So this game, I'm not saying it doesn't count because you write it down as a win in the standings, Mm -hmm. but if we're trying to take things away, I would look much more to the Falcons, to the Carolina game, to the Rams game that you mentioned, to learn how the Vikings have to win when they get to the playoffs. And I think what was in common with a lot of their really good wins is they played excellent defense, but they also did a great job of really controlling the ball. And if you looked at the possession in those games, 
They ran exceptionally well. They threw the short passes exceptionally well and held on to the ball and didn't give Matt Ryan and didn't give uh, Jared Goff many opportunities on offense, really even just to have the ball. But uh, And then they, they pressured them, and they took away a lot of things that they do well. Uh, Julio Jones didn't do anything in that game. And the screen pass game for the Rams were good. Those were the ones that I would say when you're trying to assess how good is this team really for what they do on offense. If they're going to beat someone great, it's you have to run and you have to grind out the short passes and make big plays out of those short passes. And then you when the other team, because it's going to be a great quarterback, yep. except for Nick Foles, when yep. the other team has the ball, um, you have to pressure their quarterback. And this is a team that does both of those things exceptionally well. So you should feel very, very confident, even just throwing out what happened today. Yeah, well, Zimmer said after the game, he was asked about going 11-3 and three with a backup quarterback. And he goes, yeah, that's pretty darn good. And that's for Zimmer, that's effusive praise to say pretty darn good. And flip side, he was, he was sort of baited into saying it, but asked, is this the smartest defense you've ever played with? And he said, Hey, yeah, they're pretty smart. They're they're a really exceptionally good defense, and I think uh, he he made a great point afterwards, saying it's not just that individually they're talented. Xavier Rhodes a good cover corner, great. Harrison Smith's a great safety, fantastic. But what's important about this Vikings defense, Zimmer said, is that they've played together for several years now, and if you're getting eaten alive on one particular thing in a game, you can just get them all on the sideline together and say, hey. Quick adjustment. Here's what we got to do. We're changing this. It's like sort of master classes in adjusting on the fly. And to their credit, they haven't had to do that a lot this season. But I think it does bode well for them going into the playoffs. If, I, if an elite quarterback's tearing you up, this is the defense that can adjust and mold quickly to fit that. And maybe the important thing that pertains to that today is they came out with zero injuries. Nobody right. on either that's side. Right. Yes. If you think about Mackenzie Alexander, okay, that's a rotational player. He just kind of fills in, so he was out today. But if you think about this defense, there is no position where they have missed anyone for any significant portion of time. You're right. You had Sandejo out because he got suspended one game. You had Everson Griffin with the foot injury. He misses one game. Other than that, though, all the superstar players, all the pro bowlers that they're going to have have all been in place, and that's one of the major goals for the next two weeks especially. I know you're playing for that playoff position, but if anybody is dinged up, then you need to dial back their snap counts because this team, I think from top to bottom, has shown us that they need to be healthy in order to succeed. And the one game where the offensive line is a little dinged up, that Case Keenum gets sacked six times sure. last week, yeah. and then... The line is basically back today, and they were doing all the same things that they did well for the entire season. And just, you know, on, on your, your point about the defense, this is the peak of the mountain for Zimmer yeah. because th this defense is built basically in his vision. He told Rick Spielman, I want these types of players, and Spielman was able to go out and get them through draft and sometimes finding guys out of nowhere like Tom Johnson, who's been really good this season. And this is the culmination of years now of building to have a defense this good. And I think when you look over at the Cincinnati Bengals, who were once that with Marvin Lewis, the team that was built in his vision on defense and all that, it tells you just how long you have. That's if right. you don't get Aaron Rodgers or Ben Roethlisberger, if you're playing with someone like Case Keenum, you've only got a couple of shots at this. So this year, it's not that every year isn't big, but 
this year is one of probably just a few chances that you're going to get here in this, this collection. Zimmer era with this collection of defensive players. Let me ask you, because something you you just brought up sort of, I don't know if it just doesn't sit right with me or what, but you said that resting players is going to be important. I know it's not this, you, you can't just say, oh, if this guy sits, you will lose this game. But just in a, just for a thought experiment, would you rather have to go, you host the first round, but you're hosting the wild card game with a full complement of your healthy roster or a first round buy and I get to pick one defensive player that you'll be without because he was gunning. He was, you know, he was playing those final two games, got dinged up. You're going to miss him for the playoffs. Which situation would you prefer to have if you're the Vikings? I think I prefer the healthy roster. Really? I think it's okay. so important Go to Go through their another success. game. You still have to win one more game in that scenario. Well, here's the thing. If you lose Harrison Smith, your season's over. It's over. You will not win. You will not win the Super Bowl. That's like missing Sidney Crosby in hockey. It's that important. It's like the Packers missing Aaron Rodgers. I truly believe that Harrison Smith is one of the top five defensive players in the entire NFL, and if you don't have him, you are in such a massive heap there. So if it's him we're talking about, I'll play that extra game, but give me Harrison Smith because I think you'll lose that game here. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that they should totally just blow it off and say, okay, we're resting everybody and whatever else. You know how Zimmer would respond to that. (laughs) Yes, yes, I do. In fact, he was asked earlier this week, and uh, he was very unhappy at that question. He was short. Uh, But if you get a chance to, now if it comes down to that game against the Bears, maybe you can blow them out in the first half the same way you've done here and rest people for the second half. If there's the difference, though, between, yeah, you've got to play the rest of this Bears game and win by three points or something, then I think you have to do it to get that home field. You won't feel as great about it because there's always that risk that somebody turns an ankle or something and and ends up being out. But if there is an opportunity to do it, if you feel like you've got it locked up or you're not going to move around in the playoff spot after next week, you've got to play as hard as you can against the Packers, I think. But if there are any opportunities to sit guys, then you have to do it because we've seen when you've missed just this guy or that guy, just here or there, Pat Elfline, a great example. You miss him for just that one game, and it was a wreck. And that that can't happen when it comes to the playoffs. You have to have the full deck. To be fair, he wasn't the only one missing that made that a wreck. And now they get basically everybody back but Riley Reef. You probably expect him back next week. And generally speaking, the Vikings are a picture of health at injury. I mean, the one big elephant in the room is Sam Bradford got hurt and his career might be over. Everybody else, for the most part, considering this is an NFL football team, pretty healthy. And it looks to be the case going into the final couple of weeks of the season, too. Well, and that tells you how hard it is for everything to work when you have a backup quarterback. Though, let me quickly step aside and say, when we call Case Keenum a backup quarterback, it comes along with kind of an asterisk. I mean, two other teams also named him their starting quarterback at one time. Sure. And I wrote before the season, and I would stick with this, that Case Keenum was about the best backup quarterback you will ever find in the NFL. So they went out and got a guy who was one of the best, if not the best, backup in the entire league, and a guy who had been named a starter for two other teams. So this isn't just like, oh, this guy was a complete disaster before, and now he all of a sudden learned how to play. No, he won two other jobs, including one over Jared Goff last year. So uh, sometimes that frustrates me a little bit. Like, we've always thought 
that he was a capable NFL quarterback. And we've seen in the past many times where capable fringe starters go 12 and four or mm-hmm. 11 and five. Matt mm-hmm. Castle goes 11 and yeah. five the one year with the Patriots. And we saw Kerry Collins one year in his later seasons went 12 and four with the Tennessee Titans. That's never been the question as it pertains to the Teddy Bridgewater thing. It's always been, can you really go all the way with a quarterback of that level? Did your opinion about the Vikings change at all on Sunday against the Bengals? I mean, we knew that both you and I talked earlier this week that this should be fairly like a cakewalk. I don't know what the proper term is, but like that this should be a very easy victory for the Vikings. I don't know if anything changed in my mind. I don't think I saw anything, and, and I'm just not as as deep into this thing as you. Was there anything that you saw on Sunday that you said, hey, either a sign of caution or a point of optimism that you didn't think coming into Sunday's game? I think just that they didn't blow it. Yeah, you didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, good for you. you. You don't get any bonus points for not doing that. It's kind of like um, if you hold the door for someone. Like, you don't deserve a pat on the back. That's just what you should do, right? <laughs> You don't get any credit for doing the thing that you should do, which they should just demolish the Bengals, and they did. But on the other side of that coin, we have seen some disappointing losses, at least from last year, and that memory still kind of sits there. And you wanted them to come in and look like they had bounced back quickly from their first loss in a while. That that had maybe woken them up a little bit or that they just – weren't down about it and that they weren't looking at this also they weren't looking at it like a cakewalk and they weren't just kind of cruising over it which maybe you could do at this point in the season you could see human psychology would lead you to maybe to do that and they didn't they were determined to win the nfc north here today and lock up that playoff spot here today and they just came out and steamrolled a really awful team that wasn't trying hey so one thing that impressed me and and you and i talked about this at halftime or maybe just before halftime when it kind of it was pretty obvious like what the game plan was and the weaknesses that Zimmer thought he could exploit and Pat Shermer put together this masterful game plan where you're like okay get everybody open all the time and then just hit them and get blockers in front of them that's the game plan today I said you know I'm really surprised that you haven't seen the running game take a huge hit not only in running the ball but also in catching passes out of the backfield I'm surprised we haven't really noticed this huge hit despite missing a great player in Dalvin Cook this year. And you kind of said, eh, yeah, a little, but that you weren't too surprised that Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon have really picked up the slack. I, I wonder if I could make like um, like a basketball comparison. Like, try me. Uh, imagine that you have a uh, really good rebounder who also shoots threes, all right? And then he gets hurt. And you have two other players. One's a really good rebounder, and the other shoots threes. And they just rotate in. When you need threes, one hits threes. When you need rebounds, the other gets rebounds. And that's kind of what we have here is Latavius and and Jarek are kind of like what Delvin is. <laughs> that McKinnon could come onto the backfield, and he's probably even better at this than Cook is. But he can run routes. Yeah. He isn't just a guy that needs to have a dump off and then hope for something big. He can go down the field, and we saw a little bit of that today on the wheel route and get himself open or make a, a tougher catch if he's asked to. And then Latavius Murray just brings power. And this team, part of its success is how much better they've been in the red zone. And that goes to having a better offensive line, of course, but also a guy who's a freight train. 
I mean, he's six foot three and two hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah. I mean, he is pretty tough to stop when he needs only to get uh, one yard, and that's been a big difference maker. That's the same thing that it would have been with Delvin Cook, where he would have been in the screen game, could go down the field if you needed him to. Florida State sometimes lined him up as an outside wide receiver and had him run a go right. route, yeah. so he could do it all. Uh, but I'm not stunned because this was the plan before. They only drafted Delvin Cook because he fell in their lap. Uh, but I do think that. Cook, if he was here, this offense would be even more dangerous. For sure. Because then they'd be able to use all three of them. Well, and I misspoke earlier when I said the one big injury is to the quarterback because obviously you miss Cook, but to my point, McKinnon and Murray, especially Sunday with all the receiving yards out of the backfield, but just in general this season too, is not something that as an, as an outsider that I saw coming. That I, I thought that was a big blow to the Vikings, and maybe it was, but it just hasn't borne out that way in large part because of the improved play from both of those guys. When, when Cook went down, I thought, well, Marie's been kind of slow, and what do you expect from him? And, boy, we all know the troubles the offensive line had last year. And to basically everybody's credit on the Vikings offense, Pat Shermer included, boy, you just have not really noticed that. If you were predicting doomsday for the Vikings when Cook got hurt or predicting doomsday for their offense, well, you and me – just wrong at this point, just flat out wrong. And I think even Mike Zimmer may be wrong too because he was downright distraught after Cook got okay. hurt. And right. he, I mean, he he loves Delvin Cook, and you could see it when Cook got hurt that he was saying, man, I don't know how we're going to create those type of explosive plays, but yet on a weekly basis, they've been able to do that. I yeah. mean, Murray had three games in a row where he had runs of more than 30 yards, and then the plays that they had today from Jarek McKinnon. And it goes back to just how much the offensive line impacted the 2016 version of this team and every player involved. I mean, Jarek McKinnon, I thought all along, Jarek McKinnon has no chance because of the offensive line, and he's actually a better player than this, and he's actually a better pass catcher than this, but he's a checkdown option when you have no offensive line and Bradford's getting pressured. And I think we've seen that this year that McKinnon can be a dynamic player. He can create big runs at times. He can create big passes on a regular basis. And he's been one of the best receiving running backs in the entire NFL this year as opposed to last season where he was a, a very meh player by most statistical standards. And that's what this offensive line does for this team is they maximize everyone's talent. They give Case Keenum an opportunity to throw those short passes or – to work the ball down the field when yeah. he's got an opportunity to Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs. Right. They, they've basically been the centerpiece of why this offense has succeeded so much. Well, and I just continue to be amazed because it's like you mentioned one of the best pass-catching backs in the league. It's not a case where Tom Brady just elevates your play and makes you, oh, you were capable and now you're star level. You're doing this with... I'm going to call him, continue to call him a backup quarterback, and the whole thing continues to click. I, I've run out of uh, superlatives for it, but it continues to impress me each week that I think, all right, well, we'll see where this thing is going. Is this a house of cards? And increasingly they continue to show, no, it's not. I mean, the thing that you can give Case Keenum a lot of credit for, and I go back to the Atlanta game with this in the second half, but this game would qualify for that as well, is that he is a very smart quarterback. And that they have that with all three of their quarterbacks, with Sam Bradford, with Teddy Bridgewater. It was a strength of Bridgewater's when he was in, in 2015. But when it comes to 
reading defenses pre-snap, understanding where you're going to go. I mean, this isn't always just, hey, dump it down to somebody and let them run 30 yards. It's a lot of times finding who the open guy is going to be. And Keenum has been given a lot of credit for what he's done in the pocket. But in moving around and dodging some sacks or whatever, yeah, okay, that's great. And he had a 20-yard run today, and that's, that's great, too, that he's willing to take off. It just adds an extra dimension. I think the best thing that he does is on those short passes, he knows who's going to be open. And he's got the type of talent. You saw today with Cincinnati, they couldn't shake anybody. They could not get open at all against the Vikings' defense. Well, Keenum has the type of talent of guys who are going to be open. You just have to execute that. And for the most part, through this entire run, that's been his best skill is knowing where somebody's going to be and then being able to get them the ball. And he just hasn't had to make a whole lot of megastar throws to get people open, but you still have to know where you're supposed to go with the ball, and that's what he's done very well. And that's what this team will have to continue to do. And you wonder how defenses will adjust when we get to the playoffs or if they'll be able to adjust to things that they're doing because the offense can be so dynamic. On one game against Washington, you're throwing the ball down the field a lot. And on this game, you're throwing it short a lot. And against Atlanta, throwing it short a lot. So you can change up the different things you could do because you have talent in so many different areas. So it it is a impressively dynamic offense that's very hard for opposing teams to prepare for. Would not have guessed that. At the beginning of the season, if you said they lose Bradford and Cook, I would have said, all right, when's training camp start? Yeah, yeah. That's not the case at all. I think a lot of people felt that way. Now, I wrote after Bradford went down that I thought that Case Keenum could get them to the playoffs. I don't know if I thought they'd be in line for 12-4, and but I I wouldn't change the prediction that they would have been able to make the playoffs because I didn't feel like the Lions were that strong. Aaron Rodgers goes out. You know, I mean, you just had kind of the opportunity yes. there to, to make it work with a great, great defense and all sorts of supporting cast. Yes, but I think you and I would both agree, Matthew, that, that this isn't just making the playoffs. There's a difference between getting in and being like, oh, you made the playoffs, and that's like the feather in your cap for the year, versus, oh, oh okay. With Nick Foles, a quarterback for the Eagles, you might be the prohibitive favorites in the NFC. I think that's a a drastically different scenario than sort of just getting in. And I think that's the position the Vikings have put themselves in now. I think until we see how it actually plays out, it's going to be very hard for me to ignore the history of this league recently. And just, Oh yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But you look around at the rest of the NFC. It's not as daunting as what you might've said eight weeks ago. So you might have a situation where it's very special and a unique roster that was the best in the roster, best in the league roster-wise around the quarterback, them maybe in Jacksonville, but this team might even be better adding the two great wide receivers. Or you might end up with getting to the end of this season and you have a special regular year, but then no one remembers that you went 12-4 and four because you lost in the first round. I would say that this building, U.S. Bank Stadium, has to be the toughest place to play in the NFL. It is incredibly loud. And then when you add the great defense and Harrison Smith's ability pre-snap to throw off what opposing quarterbacks can do, it's very, very hard to beat this team here. So if they do lock that up, you've got an even better chance to go deep. Uh, But until then, I, I mean, it's hard not to remain somewhat skeptical just based on who the quarterbacks were 
that went deep, but there have been other years where it's happened. So that's where we're going to have to just kind of wait and see how it ends up playing out. I think you're a purple pessimist. Purple pessimist, huh? I think, yeah. Uh, One more thing I wanted to mention after that great commentary there. Thank you. (laughs) I'm just here to break it all down. Is just to have Teddy Bridgewater come out in the field at home with the stadium here chanting his name and everything else, it is kind of one of those things that this team was already close but a further galvanizing moment and – Teddy Bridgewater mentioned after that one of the guys leading the cheer was Case Keenum. Yeah. And this still, I mean, it had the potential when Bridgewater came back to be a controversy. Or at least awkward. Yeah, and it has not been. It's amazing. And and, and that (laughs) further speaks to the point that Mike Zimmer doesn't have to name anybody his starting quarterback. He never had to. If it was a controversy, if there was an issue with the locker room, then he might have to come out and say, well, okay, we're naming him our official starting quarterback. But this is exactly why he never had to do that because of how close those guys were. And just as far as seeing him come back, it's been amazing to see him hobbling around with the cast on after the surgery. He was at Winter Park basically the whole time rehabbing. And then his first throw at OTAs. You know, they made a big deal out of, look, he's actually throwing the ball now. And then to have him actually come back out in the field, considering he was in an ambulance and they were telling him he could lose his leg to the point where he's at now is really an incredible recovery. Yeah, I give credit to both guys. I mean, obviously Bridgewater for the perseverance to get here and to when it would have been easy to say, woe is me and just be down on yourself. The theme you keep hearing from teammates, Matthew, guys talking about him in the locker room, whether they're his best friend or just a teammate who's like a friend, right? Like you're not best friends with all of your coworkers, but each of them say, you know, it's amazing how much he just continued to smile throughout the process. And it, and it sounds so cliche, but that is a difficult thing to do. And I also credit Case Keenum for not making this awkward because this is exactly what he signed up for. He signed up for best case scenario. You are in the driver's seat of a Ferrari, as our friend Phil Mackey likes to say. And you're not exactly Dale Earnhardt Jr., but you're going to make the thing go, and there are going to be two other bigger-name quarterbacks, two bigger boxers in the ring. You have to be comfortable with that, and at least from my outside perspective, he's been exceedingly comfortable with that, downplaying the controversy at every single possible moment when it would have been easy to instead uh, try to take some of the shine, try to take some of it, at least own a, a percentage of it, and he, I haven't heard him once try to take any credit for that. That, to me, is pretty impressive, too. So Judd will be back soon this week. And Thank Courtney goodness. And I, yeah, the listeners least, are you know, ready for it. Normally, Derek is known for his baseball commentary on the Touch Em All podcast, so if you're a Twins fan, check that out. But he pinch hit for our friend Mr. Zolgad. A baseball term. I like it. I like it. Uh, it. He came in in relief. No, I guess you didn't do that. Uh, you made the spot start. That's there right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Jed will be back this week. We'll talk to Courtney as well and uh, maybe dig up another guest for you as it's a very, very big week. The Vikings going to face the Packers. So thanks very much, as always, for listening to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. 
Baker's, fresh for everyone.